This morning, we want to turn our attention to the book of Nehemiah. I really kind of want to share a passage that is a prayer for our church this morning. Nehemiah, chapter number 6, verses 1 through 15. When you get it, you can let me know by saying amen. And the scripture declares, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors of the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us, let us meet together at Hecapherim, in the plain of Arno. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four more times in this way, and I answered them the same, in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with the open letter in his hand. In it, it was written, it is reported among you, among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that, and that is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, and there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, and now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, no such thing as you have, have, have no such thing you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And now when, when I went into the house of Shemiah, the son of Delia, and the son of Mezabalo, who confirmed to his home, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us, let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you by night. But I said, such a man as I run away and what man such as I can go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And when I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sambela had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambela, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the fifth, in the 25th day on the month of Elul in 52 days. Uh, just for a, a few moments, I won't be long today, uh, I want to preach from a very simple subject title. Uh, I want to talk about stay on the ladder. Stay on the ladder. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for um, our church. Uh, God, it is a great privilege to be here. It is a great privilege uh, to have a family. Uh, I don't have a church. I have a family. have a, a group of brothers and sisters who love me and who care for me and love my family and care for my family. God, I pray that the mission and vision of this church would never change 
I pray, God, that the spirit and the heart of this church would never change. God, but I pray that we will be consistent in loving you and in loving one another. God, that we will be consistent in knowing you more deeply, but also in making you known more widely. God, help us to stay on that ladder. God, help us to never change that, to never deviate from that, to never be afraid of that, God, but help us to focus on honoring you right where you planted us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, anybody who knows me well knows that I am an absolute football fanatic. And while I am more of a college football fan now because of my job, traditionally or historically, I was more of an NFL fan. Uh, my father uh, was, uh, once, once my parents divorced, he moved to Atlanta. And uh, I can remember growing up, we would go out to Fulton County Stadium. Uh, when there was the early 90s, uh, the Falcons were pretty bad, about as bad as they are right now. <laughs> but the tickets were very low. And I remember Deion Sanders becoming my favorite athlete because he was such an electric player. Uh, he was my favorite athlete not because of the jerry curl, uh, not because he was a three-sport athlete, not even because he was an NFL Hall of Famer. He's just the first person I can remember seeing in person and being impressed. Uh, what I love about Deion's life is that you look at his life and you look at the highs and lows, you look at the ups and downs, and you see that he had significant struggles, and he learned from his struggles, but also he learned from his success. Uh, he wrote a biography a couple of years ago. It's called Power, Money, and Success, Power, Money, and Sex, How Success Almost Ruined My Life. And in his book, Deion shares many stories, and one of the things that comes out of the book is this. He says... He had so much early success that his life began to spiral out of control. He says, I was rich. I was famous. He says, I thought I was above the law. And when you think about his story, his story is applicable to every one of our stories. When you think about Deion's story, maybe you cannot identify with being a three-sport three athlete. Uh, maybe you cannot identify with being an NFL Hall of Famer. Uh, maybe you cannot identify with being rich and famous. Uh, there are plenty of us who can identify with having a curl. Uh, I kind of want to point some people out, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But all of us, all of us, every one of us should be able to look at your life. And you should be able to evaluate how success in your life how a victory in your life, how a great season in your life tempted you to become lazy. It tempted you to become less than God wanted you to be. Oftentimes in our life, I want you to catch this. Our success will take us to places that our character cannot keep us. I want to say that again. If we're not careful, the success that you've had in your life will take you to a place where your character cannot keep you. When I think about our church, it reminds me of the fact that we've had some significant success as a church. Uh, it, is not, um, it is not me being prideful or being boastful. When you think about what has happened at this church, it is success. 
When you think about uh, the, the faces in the room, when you think about the lives that have been impacted, when you think about all that we've been able to accomplish in seven years, to have our own facility, to have 40 acres of land, to be able to have the most diverse church in town, to be able to be committed to the gospel, we've not grown through, um, through gimmicks and games and hooks and ladders. We've grown through simply preaching the gospel. When you look at all of that, that is what most people would say is success. And while we want to celebrate that, we want to highlight what God has done. We want to uh, stick a, a fork in the ground and we want to brag on God for what God has done in our lives and through our lives. Catch this. We don't want to get to a place in our life, though, where we are so looking in the rearview mirror of our past success that we miss out on what God has for us next. As a church, by the, here's, here's my heart as your pastor. We've had a lot of success. The Lord has done some significant things in our church. The Lord has done more for us than I could ever imagine. I could not have dreamed up a better scenario than what we are experiencing. Yes, our church looks totally different than I expected, but it's so much better than I deserve. But when I look at our church, when I look at the success, I still want to ask the question, what would the Lord have for us next? I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful for the relationships. When I look around the room, my heart is touched and it's moved, but I still got to ask the question, Lord, what are you desiring to do in us and through us next? One of the reasons why I love the book of Nehemiah, it's, it's one of the greatest books uh, for those of us who have vision because you have a man who has a vision that's from the Lord. You have a man who accomplishes something great for God, but you have a man who is hungry to do more for God, not hungry to do more for himself, not hungry for more uh, material, more possession. He's hungry to make a greater impact for God. When the book opens up, Nehemiah is, is in a really good place. He's, a, he's the cupbearer of the king. He is living in the palace. He's eating at the king's table. He would have a great career, a great job. Things for him personally were going great. But when he hears about something that broke the heart of God, his heart became to, began to break. And a lot of times in our lives, things can be good at our house. Insert your, your address. Things are good at blank address, which we, we want things to be good at your address. But if things are not good at the addresses that God is concerned about, then I need to be concerned. If I get to this place in my life where I'm only concerned about me, me and Avita and our kids, and I'm not concerned about your kids and our community, if I'm not concerned about our city, if I'm just concerned about myself, I'm to a place where I've forgotten what God has called me to do. Uh, in the text, Nehemiah hears about uh, God's city being ruined. He hears about uh, the walls of God's city being broken down. He hears about uh, something that God was concerned about. And, and rather than ignoring uh, a need, rather than uh, doing his life uh, based upon what was best for him, he gets to a place in his life where he says, Lord, I want to do something about it. He says, Lord, please send me to do something to help. He, he puts himself in a position where he's willing uh, to sacrifice personally to do and accomplish something spiritually. I, I just wonder what kind of church could we have if collectively, but also individually, we had a group of people who said, Lord, I want to be concerned about what you're concerned about. 
Lord, I want to have a burden for the things that burden you. Lord, I want, to, I want to build something great, not for myself, not for my family, not just for my kids, God, but I want to build something great that brings you honor and bring, brings you glory. When you look at the text, we read uh, chapter number six, but when you look at uh, the previous two chapters, Nehemiah is facing significant opposition as he's pursuing the purposes of God. Uh, anyone who thinks that uh, pursuing God's purpose is going to be easy, anyone who thinks that uh, pursuing God's purpose is going to be without opposition, you are believing a lie. Even though he leaves what's comfortable, he leaves uh, what's convenient, he leaves what's best for him, he still faces significant opposition. In the previous two chapters, you see, uh, number one, you see opposition from those uh, who threatened him and those who lied on him. The first two forms of opposition uh, were external. They came from pagan enemies. Uh, They came from opposition that wanted to ridicule him. Uh, They came from opposition that wanted to threaten him with violence. And once he was able to overcome that opposition by God's grace, uh, because of God's courage and through practical wisdom, the third form of opposition came from an internal struggle. Uh, it was caused by greed. It was caused by those who were trying to get over. Uh, Nehemiah was, over, was able to overcome the, the external struggle, but also the internal struggles as well. And when you think about it, you see a man who says, I'm willing to continue to give my time, my talent, and my resources for the building of God's kingdom. Now, as we start off by looking at the sermon, it's easy for us to ask the question, what in the world does this man in the Bible call Nehemiah have to do with me? Like, there's a disconnect here. I'm not living in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not able to go rebuild the walls of a city. Uh, I'm not a cupbearer of a king. Like, Like, what does this have to do with me? Here's what this has to do with you. All of us, all of us, everyone under the sound of my voice is called to extend God's kingdom with my life. In a very real sense, all of us are called to build something great for God. And the issue of building or rebuilding is an issue that you are not going to face for the rest of our lives. For some of us, it's the issue of building a marriage that honors God. Like God has given you the responsibility to build a marriage that reflects his honor and his glory. For others of us, uh, we are called to rebuild a career or build a career that brings honor and glory to God. That I am looking at my profession as ultimately being a profession of my faith. Others of us are trying to rebuild or build relationships with our children. We're trying to rebuild or build relationships with our parents or siblings. We're trying to rebuild or build uh, lots of different areas in our life. And we got to understand that the same God who worked in the life of Nehemiah is the same God who is able to work in your life today. The same God who was able to give him success and victory thousands of years ago, the same God who gave him a burden, and the same God who gave him, a, gave him a vision, the same God who gave him everything that he needed to be successful is the same God who will allow me to rebuild the walls of my life or my marriage or my business or my finances, my relationships with my kids. You see in the text that we all have an opportunity to build something great for God if we are willing to stay on the ladder. When you look at the text, when you look at the passage, we see three significant things that we need to apply to stay on the ladder in life. First thing we see is in life, we will be presented with great distractions. We will be presented with great distractions. Verse number two says, come let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. 
because the project is almost complete, the enemies try to distract Nehemiah from the work that God has called him to do. When we read the first two verses, I believe that there should be very, it should be very clear that he responds with three very practical, he responds three very practical ways. The first thing we see is his response is rooted and grounded in humility. I love Nehemiah because he was humble enough to evaluate his work. He was humble enough to assess the work that had been done. He was humble enough to make a sober assessment of the situation. He says the work is almost done, but he he puts this little caveat in there, but the gates have not been placed on the city yet. He's humble. He takes the time to evaluate where he is. He takes the time to celebrate what God has accomplished, but he's humble enough to recognize that there's more work to do. Secondly, he's not only humble, but he's, he's honest. He's not so prideful and so puffed up that he could not be honest. He wasn't to a place in his life where he got defensive. He wasn't to a place in his life where he couldn't admit that there were areas of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the plan that needed to be improved. He wasn't so prideful and boastful that he exaggerated the work. He was honest about where the work stood. A lot of us in our lives, we are so prideful, we are so arrogant, that we cannot be honest about the areas that need some work. A lot of us, we, we just cannot take, I don't even want to say criticism, we can't take accountability because we don't want to be honest about areas of our life that need God's work. So first, he is humble. Secondly, he is honest, but I love the third one. He is still hungry. He didn't allow the success that he experienced in the past to cause him to hit cruise control. He didn't allow the victories in his past to get him to think that he had arrived. And I love this, this, this point here because we all should, on some level, possess the same spirit that Nehemiah had. A spirit that allows us to have balance where we have eyes on progress. We want to celebrate what the Lord has done, but we also want to have an eye to see what God wants to continue to do. There's a balance between work and rest. There's a balance between knowing that God had already done great things, but there's an excitement about God doing even greater things. Uh, There's there's an opportunity in the text to, to celebrate and point to the Lord has done wonderful and mighty things in my life, but the Lord desires to do even greater things in his life. He was hungry not for more success, not for more recognition. He wasn't hungry for more, uh, more praise. He was hungry to do more for God. I think that's, that's, a, that's a, a very powerful application for the Christian life. Like we are, we are so thankful for the finished work of Christ. We are so thankful for what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. We are so thankful that all of my sins, past, present, and future are taken care of. That, like the, the work that Christ has done for us is so amazing. But catch this, God has left us here to do greater works. The Lord has left us here. The Lord has planted us here because God desires for you and I to do even greater works. Yes, he confirmed that there was progress made, but he was not, catch this, self-satisfied with the progress. 
He was humble enough to assess the progress, but he was hopeful enough to see that God wanted to make more progress. I love his attitude because uh, he doesn't say, uh, I've done, this is how I would have responded. Chill out, bro. I've done more in 52 days than y'all have done in 52 years. Like, what you talking about? Like, we almost done. Like, I'm good. Like, give me a break. I deserve to rest. I deserve some recognition. Like, matter of fact, uh, when the gate is finished, you need to put this as the settles gate. Like, that's, that's how we respond. But in the text, you see very clearly that he was hungry to see the Lord do something even greater. I, I want to say this very clearly. I'm so thankful that you are here today. Like, I am so thankful. Y'all look so wonderful. The pictures are going to be great at the church. Y'all look so good. Thankful for you here. But I hope and pray that being here doesn't make you satisfied. Like, we want to be satisfied with the Savior. We want to be satisfied with Jesus. Don't, don't, don't misquote me. But I don't want to be satisfied with where I am with the Lord. I want to grow closer and more intimate with God. Like, even here today, like, I'm, like coming to church is great, but I want you to continue to progress. Like, being married is great, but I want you to continue to progress. B- bringing your children to church is great, but I want you to continue to progress. Reading your word is great, but I want you to continue to progress. Yes, maybe you're doing better than others before you. You're doing better than the folks at work. You're doing better than the folks in your sorority or your fraternity. Yeah, I know you're doing better than them, but catch this. Are you still progressing in a way that honors God? Are you progressing in a way that gives God your best? So first, in life, we're going to be presented presented with great distractions, but in this life, we are going to need gospel determination, gospel determination, my sister Ashley, a McCord in the back, understands gospel determination. She was, so we have a new staff member. Could you stand up, Ashley? Yeah, I'm going to call you out like that. <laughs> Ashley is our new female staff member. She is raising support. Uh, if you have an opportunity, I would love for you to meet her. She's in the need of raising support to be a chaplain. Uh, I want you to prayerfully consider supporting what she's doing on campus because it's important. You can sit down, sister. I met Ashley about two and a half years ago. I knew we needed a chaplain on campus. I knew we needed an African-American female on campus. And when I met her, I presented this opportunity for her to come and join our staff on campus. She laughed at me. She was like, bro, I ain't coming to Athens. She's from Tennessee. She was at the University of Tennessee at the time. And I'm sure she thought, like, is this dude, like, weird? Like, why is he, like calling and texting, and I kept telling her, gospel persistence, gospel determination. Like, I knew that the Lord was going to bring her here. I just didn't know the timing, but I knew the Lord was going to do something consistent in her life, and I knew a part of that was her being here in Athens. In this life, we got to be consistent and persistent and determined based upon the gospel, not based upon what we want, but based upon what God is calling us to. In the text, we see a gospel determination. Verse 3 says, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while, I'm, while, while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. 
when you read these verses, it is easy for us to think, what was so great about finishing a wall? Like, what was so great about hanging doors on a gate? I want to say something here, and I think this is super important for everybody who is here. Any work is great work if that work is the work God's called you to. I'm going to say it again. Any work is great work if that work is the work that God has called you to. Let me say it a different way. Every work God calls you to do is great work in God's eyes. If God calls you to do this work, in God's eyes, it is great work. I want to make this super practical this morning. To, to all the mothers who struggle with their kids, I'm sure that there was moms up last night doing hair and pulling out clothes and cleaning up the house and making beds and doing all those things. I want to encourage you, if that's the work God's called you to do, that's great work. I'm so, I'm so thankful that Melissa and Dante are here today. I'm sure that with my man, they've been getting up early. They've been staying up. He's been fussy. Like in the world, in the world's mindset, that's not great work. That's, that's, that's insignificant work to be changing diapers and to, to be changing a baby. But, but in God's eyes, that's great work. To, to the men in the room, like the fact that you're going to get up tomorrow and go to work, that's great work. To no matter, for the single parents in here, for those who are, who are doing your best with what you got, you are struggling to make, make your bills, you're struggling to get things done, I want to encourage you this morning, that's great work because God has called you to that work. Like so many times we get to thinking that there's greater work. I got to have my own show. I got to be a mogul. I got to do this. got to do that. I got to be an entrepreneur. I got to do all these things. I got to have this huge following. And we miss the fact that the work that God has called you to do is great work. To the, to the, even to the college students who, are, who you just grinding, you just trying to stay in school. <laughs> That's great work. And the world will tell you that you should have 4.0, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you should have a job lined up. You should, no, do the work that God has called you to do, and that work is great work. Being here at church, working it with the kids, handing out a flyer on Wednesday, whatever work God's called you to do, that work is great work. The problem that we, we deal with is this. We are so impacted by the world that we allow the world to determine what's great work. We allow the world to tell us how we should value work. We allow the world to tell us where we should place our faith and our hope. But when you look at the text, uh, Nehemiah is doing great work because he's doing what the Lord called him to do. When you look at the text, months earlier, he was eating at the king's table, but now he's sharing food rations. But please know that what he was doing was more significant. We need to remember that what you do for God is significant work. There is nothing more significant in your life than doing exactly what God has called you to do. So let me stop even now and ask a question. What are you currently doing in your life that God would consider to be great work? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what Instagram or Twitter says. Like, what are you currently doing in your life right now at this moment that God would say is great work? Not the world, not your colleagues, 
not your parents, not your Facebook friends, not your Instagram followers. What is, what is happening in your life that God would say, my brother or my sister, that's great work. I want to remind us all that significance is less about the work you do and is more about why you're working and who you're working for. Said it again. Sig- significance in your life is less about the work you do. It's more about why you are working and who you are working for. That's why as a believer, I want to work into the Lord. My why is Christ. My motivation is Christ. My motivation is my family. My motivation is the gospel. And when I see it from that perspective, when I see what God has called me to do, then I'm always willing to see that that is great work. In the text, Satan is going to always uh, tempt us to, to put down the work that God has called us to. But as believers, we have an opportunity to ask God for strength. Verse 9 says, for they, were all, they, fought, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that, their hands would, that, that, that our hands would be dropped from the work and it would not be done. So they pray, strengthen my hands. When you look at the text, you usually don't pray for strength unless you're losing it or at least know how much you need it. In this life that we live, you're going to need some strength. This is hard what we do. I, I, I love this part because it gives me a, a chance to, to remind us of the realities of life. Life is hard. Like life is tough. And in this life, you're going to need the Lord to strengthen your hands. You're going to need the Lord to strengthen your hands in personal relationships. You're going to need the Lord to strengthen your hands in pursuing him. You're going to need the Lord to strengthen your hands in terms of your pride, your job, your fears, your failures, the pressure that you have on you. You're going to need the Lord's strength in your life. So first, we see in this life, we will be presented with great distractions. Secondly, in this life, you're going to need great or gospel determination. But thirdly, in this life, you will need to practice great discernment. Verse 11 says, and, and I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple and save his life? I will not go in. In the 10th verse of the chapter, we're introduced to one more person who tries to get Nehemiah off the ladder who tries to get Nehemiah off the wall. His name is Shemaiah. Uh, the most unfortunate thing about Shemaiah is that he is a priest. Uh, in the text, uh, Shemaiah would have been a pastor. Uh, he would have been a religious leader. He, would have been, he should have been the person who was encouraging Nehemiah to be obedient to God's word. But catch this. In the text, he is the one who is tempting Nehemiah to be disobedient to God's word. Nehemiah understands that Um, being in the temple or being in the sanctuary or the holy place meant that only a priest could be there. And Nehemiah was focused on the Lord. He was a leader. He was a businessman. He was a builder. But he understood since he was not a priest, he could not go to the holy place. Numbers 18 verse 7 says, And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I will give you a priesthood as a gift. And any outsider who comes near 
shall be put to death. Nehemiah understood if he compromised, he understood if he was disobedient to the Lord, he would have died. He understood if he would have listened to a man, he would have lost his life. When you think about the passage, it is a reminder for all of us that we will, be, we will daily be tempted to try to protect ourselves. We will daily be tempted to try to come up with a scheme and a plan to keep ourselves safe and to keep ourselves comfortable. And it's in those moments that you and I must be grounded in God's word. It's, it's in those moments where you and I must be so intimately connected and committed to living out God's word that when someone presents an option to us that seems good, when someone presents an option to us that seems plausible, that seems reasonable, we can go back to God's word and know for sure that this is not what the Lord has called us to do. So Chris, could you come on up? Get ready to close. When you think about obedience this week, I, got, I, have, a, um, I have a pre-challenge before the application this morning. I want to pray that the Lord will remind you or reveal to you this week one area in your life, one area that you can trust God to rebuild. Could be a relationship that needs mending. It could be a project that needs ending. It could be a, a position or belief that needs defending. It could be a helpless person that needs lending. It could be a wrong attitude that needs bending. It could be a note or a letter that needs sending. I don't know what it is, but this week I want to encourage you to focus on allowing the Lord to rebuild one specific area of your life. In terms of our points of application, I want to say very quickly, when we think about the passage, specifically, when we think about our church, while we're on the ladder, I pray that we don't get distracted. I pray that as a church, that we don't allow the cares and affairs of this world to get us distracted and off mission. For us to stay focused, though, we got to do three things. We got to stay humble. We got to be earnest. And we got to stay hungry. After we consider what it means to not get distracted, secondly, we need to consider while we're on the ladder, we need to stay determined. I'm determined to value the work that God has given me. I'm determined that what God says is important will be important. I'm determined to not allow the world to determine what good work is. I'm determined to not allow the world to define and determine what is great work. But I want to understand that any work that God has called me to do, any work that the Lord has assigned me to, that's great work. And I'm going to do that work well. So while we got to stay on the ladder, we can't get distracted. While we stay on the ladder, we got to stay determined. But lastly, while we stay on the ladder, we got to use discernment. We got to know what God has said and what, has, what God has not said. 
Because good intentioned people will present options to us that are just inconsistent with God's word. People will, will provide plans and thoughts and ideas that make a lot of sense to us that will be inconsistent with what God has already told us. And in those moments, I got to be willing to go back to what God has said. Not what a man has said, not even what my pastor has said, but in those moments of discernment, I got to go back to what God has said. 